0: Remember, I know I'm asking you to think back a little bit and we've got to add in baby brain these days. But can you think back to when you knew you were going to play your first Grand Slam main draw and how you felt? I can, actually, because
1: it was, um, it was a little bit crazy. It was quite unexpected, uh, definitely. I mean, I suppose I was in a tournament, but, but I, I managed to get a wild card for Wimbledon. But I earned it through the playoffs, so we had like a Brit. We have a British playoffs at the moment. We have British playoffs for qualifying. But back then, the winner of that tournament got a main draw wild yeah. card, and then I think if you came second or you are in the semis, you got a qualifying wild card. And uh, yeah, I remember I'd done really well over the grass court season so far, and my coach said, "Right, let's go and play. We'll, we'll play the, the the wild card playoffs." And I said, "Why? I don't. I don't. I, I thought it was a waste of time." <laughs> oh positive cavity even at
0: a young yeah. age <laughs> so i was a waste
1: of time because i said look i'm not going to win the thing i was quite tired i just say i'd had quite a good run i was quite tired and i was like look i'm not going to win the thing i didn't realize there were qualifying <laughs> wild cards available as well i just thought if you win it and so there's loads of people there that i can't beat so why don't i just rest and you know we can we can play the other events and uh, and he said to me, yeah, but you know, if you could make semis, you could get a, a quali wildcard. And I thought, well, that that might be doable. So I'll give that a go. <laughs> um, anyway, so I went and I, and I won it and won the wildcard. And I think I was a set down in like every match. <laughs> so, <laughs> so um, uh, yeah, so it was all the top women competing and all the top men compete. And, you know, a lot of the uh, Grand Slam nations have that as their opportunity. And I was 17. And Wow. Yeah, and then suddenly I won it, and then I get a phone call confirming that I will be given the wild card. <laughs> and then it was, okay, well, we can go to Wimbledon and get your accreditation, and we can go and practice. And um, and then I had the option of, do I go to Eastbourne? Because because I was playing well, they said, well, we can give you a wild card into Eastbourne. And I was so tired by this point um, that I actually thought, <laughs> well, I'll just try and prepare for Wimbledon, because... Uh, right now my brain's not functioning that I'm going to be playing in a
0: grand slam and uh and yeah that, and that was it I would also think that upon hearing that news as well as being excited I'd then be terrified of something going wrong with my body with something so I wouldn't be able to take you you see well, exactly. what I exactly mean? and that's what
1: that's exactly why I didn't play Eastbourne I was offered a wild card into the main draw of Eastbourne I never played down there um other than county stuff. I'd not played in the actual tournament. And of course it's a huge, huge event, so a massive opportunity. But I just felt like I was exhausted. Yeah, I wasn't used to playing at this level. It was quite early on. I mean the year before I'd been sitting my GCSEs, finishing my high school qualifications at school. And it was just kind of it was all quite quick and I just thought, you know, mentally I need to get my head around it. But also, yeah, physically I was like, if I pick up an injury, that's not acceptable. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely. That's not happening. So it was quite a big call to turn that down, really.
0: No, it t- but I was thinking of there was this wonderful, we're recording, I'm not. A, I'm not a, it's, it's lockdown, so I'm not really sure what day it is, but I'm pretty sure it's Wednesday morning, and the news has come through that Francesca Jones, a British player, 20 years of age, she um, went into Australian Open qualifying, 241 in the world, has now qualified for her first Grand Slam main draw, which is absolutely incredible, I think she's gone up to something like 270, it's absolutely amazing. But I was thinking there is still a big gap now between finishing qualifying and the Australian Open that starts on the 8th of February. Not only does she have to stay injury free, but she mustn't catch COVID. I, I would be, I would just feel terrified about the whole thing because with COVID you, you can, when I got it, I wasn't necessarily near anyone, but you got it. I would be terrified between now and then you have to worry about physically, mentally and not catching the virus in the middle of a pandemic maybe you could use your hiding from baguette skills in terms of hiding (laughs) from covid
1: it's around every corner
0: (laughs) you just you just you just wouldn't leave and i know a lot is in place in terms of their chartered flights that tennis australia have laid on then they will go into two weeks quarantine then they're in these very very small bubbles but and they're keeping everything as tight as possible but i I don't know i just think i know you mustn't think like that you just have to think this is incredible what an achievement but Anybody at any time can get this virus. And I just think it's it's one of those extra things. Or maybe it's a good thing because she won't be worrying so much about playing the Grand Slam because there's so much else to worry about. I don't know. I suppose having that long period of time, it gives you longer to adjust
1: to kind of get your yeah. head around the fact that you're playing yeah, in the major of Grand slam. Um, but it's all quite new because the qualifying of course has not been in Melbourne or at Melbourne That's Park true. and there's quite <laughs> a long journey, you know, there's jet lag to get over, it'll be different courts, different conditions. So, you know, because the one thing that qualifiers always have an advantage at tournaments is that they know the surface they know the conditions they've played their three matches to get through they're feeling good they've had a couple of days rest and here they go and you're coming in cold especially at the first Grand Slam of the year you know, the qualifiers often do well and and win lots of matches. We've seen that plenty of times. So it will be quite different now because you kind of almost be starting on the same foot. I don't know if it's an advantage to be a qualifier. I can't really see how
0: it is. Yeah, that's true because everything is is so different. There is such a big gap between the two and so much a you have to go through. Yeah, exactly. And and everyone's going to have had a lot of time to adjust and stay in their hotel. I thought it was, there was a lovely quote from from the Brit when she qualified. She said, it's like... um, On X Factor, you know when Simon Cowell says you're through to the live shows (laughs) and you've gone through all those kind of boot camp stages. She's through to the live show. She's through to the Australian Open. And for people listening who don't know much about her, and to be honest, I didn't know much about her, she has been speaking to our friend and colleague, Russell Fuller from the BBC in the lead up to this. She has a rare genetic condition which often affects fingers and toes. And in her case, she has three fingers and a thumb on each hand and three toes on her right foot and four on her left. And she said that she was told multiple times that she would never have a professional tennis career. I mean, I can't imagine. She Apparently she plays with a lighter racket and it's a, a smaller grip. She says her biggest strength is her mental strength. But can you imagine at the age of eight... This is all you want to do, and there's people saying to you, "There is not a chance that you're going to have a career in this sport." That's amazing, isn't it? I mean, it's just something that. But you, you would assume, wouldn't you? I mean, just
1: being totally ignorant to that sort of condition, or or even you know, developing your life, um, dealing with that, you would just think that missing fingers is just not something that can go with with playing tennis at a professional level. Yeah, it's just absolutely extraordinary, and. She's bossing it. I mean, she just cruised <laughs> through to her first Grand Slam. I mean, she came through her last round of course. I think it was Love and Two. She's absolutely smashing it. I mean, she plays at such a high level. I mean, she, this is not her peak. She's going to keep continuing. But just absolutely extraordinary. So, so impressive. And yeah, it's just something that you would assume would uh, really um, negatively affect her game. But obviously,
0: she's just dealt with it and said, no, no, I'll find a way. And she's brilliant. Yeah, it's incredible mental strength. So definitely... A name to to look out for for people when the Australian Open starts. Now, as I mentioned, qualifying suits in different places. The women in Dubai, the men in Doha. The this short sure, this is definitely isn't it the the strangest this is the strangest story so far. Elliot Bonchaterre, who was French but has now switched allegiances, so he is from twenty twenty one actually representing Morocco. Now, he was beaten by fourth seed Dennis Kudler. There's absolutely no shock there because he was beaten by the fourth seed. But the twist was he was 6-4, 5-3, down to Kudler. At this point, word came back that Kudler had tested positive for COVID. So mid-match, if Banchotre had won the next game to make it 5-4, he would have qualified for the second round of qualifying. But because he didn't... Dennis Kudler won the match, got through to the next round and then was pulled out of qualifying because he's positive for covid. How how does that happen? How is that allowed to happen? I, I still can't quite confusing. get my head around it. <laughs> I mean, the number of elements are quite confusing. <laughs> I'm confused. Where would you like to start with those? <laughs> I mean, <It's> ha- so... <laughs> how on earth can it's like we're told we at the moment, we can't fly anywhere. We're locked in our island. But we can't fly without a certificate to say we're fit to fly and we've got a negative COVID test. Sure. So how on earth is Kudler, I'm not blaming Kudler, but how on earth is he allowed to take to the court having not had the result of his test? I don't know. <laughs> I, just, I don't I don't understand the
1: situation. I think, look, at the end of the day, Kudler played the match and won the match. So I can understand bon Tree getting frustrated with the fact that um, Kudler was allowed to play and and without having the the negative test and and that situation but the fact that he would have gone through if he had won that game, I mean he lost the match so he doesn't go through, for for me that's just kind of, it's like if you play somebody who's injured and you don't manage to beat them and they pull out the next round well, you didn't win you lost the match, Um, so I think that's kind of it but I don't know what would have happened. So if he had gone to 5-4, if he had won that game, would yeah. what, people would have just run on the court and yes. just started waving their arms and saying,
0: stop, stop, isolate this man. Yeah, because the result came back mid-match. So, so he has said, and he's been, he spoke quite in, in detail to tennis majors following his match, but if he'd won that game, if he'd just got it to 5-4, the match would have been done, suspended, finished, because Kudler was playing, having tested positive for COVID. So if, he, if he'd won that game, he would have been through to the second round.
1: Yeah, and I can understand, as I say, Banchester's frustration because you would imagine that if, if you're playing you you kind of put your faith in the authorities that everybody else has done their tests because you don't know, do you? you, just, yeah, that you you're just yeah. you following the rules and you've done your tests and you've come back negative and you go and play. So you would just assume that everybody else is, is uh, following those rules as well. So I don't know how this sort of slipped through the net because it doesn't make sense that that's just fine to happen, that, yeah, yeah, you don't have a positive or negative result. You've got no result yet. You can go and play. That doesn't, I mean, do you think that's that's right?
0: Well, no, it's a bit like when we were working at, at Roland Garros last year, we had our tests and we had our passes and it was all, everything was connected. So when we went to sort of buzz in with our passes, there were different, like green, if you had a negative result on your, on your sheet, and there were two forms of red. Red is, we're waiting for it, and then the, the big sort of red flashing sirens going off. She's positive, or he is positive for COVID. Do not come in here. You think they would have been, look, I know they're dealing with an awful lot and an awful lot of players and everybody they're having to test, but I just don't see how they could have allowed a match to stop. Surely you just schedule the match later. If the test hasn't come back, well, we're going to have to move this match from, I don't know, second match to, to fourth match or something.
1: Right, yeah, like they did with the the Sverov match in um, Roland Garros, didn't they? They just delayed it till they yeah. worked out what was happening, and yeah, he could have just said, right, just just wait, you you can't go on yet. But it seems like people weren't aware that there wasn't a result because surely, if they were aware there wasn't a result, they would have just done that. It's not hard to do to just say, actually, you're gonna
0: have to wait. And then and then, how much responsibility did the players have to take? Because surely, Kudler would have. I'm just speculating, he would have known that he hadn't got his result when he went out to play the match. So surely, therefore, it's your responsibility as a player to say, look, guys, just to let you know, I haven't had my result yet, right? I don't know. Again, you would kind of assume so, but if the players
1: haven't been told that, then you can't, can't really hold it against them, can you? So, I don't know, it's a bit of a a bit of a mess. I mean, all these rules are new and yeah. are being, the kinks are being worked out, <laughs> that's for sure. But the problem is, is, is Bosichu was saying, is that you, you're putting people at risk by ironing out these kinks and kind of getting things wrong. So you do really want everything to be watertight. And, of course, people are qualifying for a Grand Slam. They do not want to pick up COVID right now. And that is a massive, massive problem. So,
0: Well, he was saying that some of the players were saying that to keep them separate from the guests in the hotel, the only way, only thing they could use is a service elevator with all the staff who work in the hotel. And they were concerned that maybe it was being caught from some of the staff of the hotel who aren't tested as regularly. We know with the players, it's, you know, it's like clockwork. They are being tested, but then they're getting in a service lift with someone who maybe hasn't been tested for a few days, and that possibly, he was saying, again, he was speaking to tennis majors, that it's possibly where some of the positive results have come. It's just, it, look, it's hard. It's, it's a virus you cannot see. It's a virus when you ask half the people who have had it, how did you get it, they'll say, I have no idea how I got it so it's a a very it's a very difficult thing to monitor but it's a massive weekend coming up for Australia because this weekend they are going to open up their borders to the tennis world so we're talking over a thousand people from across the world are coming into a country that has been so close closed down and so tight with their border control I mean it's it's sort of fingers crossed time really yeah they've got to be a little bit nervous haven't they I'm excited
1: and a bit nervous because we don't want tennis to be the reason that (laughs) that everything goes a bit wrong uh, in Melbourne. But uh, yeah, just fingers crossed. But we were nervous before the US Open we were nervous before yeah, Roland Garros yeah. and both went pretty much without a hitch Benoit pair excluded um, and the Djokovic <laughs> default but that was nothing to do with COVID that was just, <laughs> that was just different um, but on the whole I mean I think we could say they were a resounding success but this is different this period of time is different the virus is just it is around a lot more as you say it's around every corner like baguettes
0: in France you cannot get away from it <laughs> you can't I mean you just you just genuinely can't and it is it is the reason why some players have chosen and will choose not to play in the Australian Open. For one is is John Isner. And he said quite simply that he's, he's flying home after Delray Beach because he doesn't want to be away from his family for that period of time. Because it's not in the case of, we talked about Sam Quarry, he, he could take his family to St. Petersburg and obviously then flee Russia. But Australia is saying, no, 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 we're not having a lot of people in. it's bare minimum you come in you stay in your hotel room you play in this small bubble you play in the tournament there are other tournaments and then you leave and john is not and i know that politics comes into john isn't because he talks a lot about masks and not wearing them and a lot of people talking about that but the reason he was saying is i just don't want to be away from my family for that period of time and that's his reason for not going to the australian open and that's fair enough yeah absolutely because the quarantine of course
1: makes it so much longer and John has got to be anticipating reaching the final. So that is a long amount of time. Why are you laughing? Well, I'm, I'm not sure I'd say the final. Hey, you've got to be positive, <laughs> You do, right? yes, yeah, sorry. No, yes, He's I'm sorry. He's a former top yes, tenor. He's yes, a Masters yes, 1000 yes, champion. yes. Stranger things have happened. Um, Yes, stranger stranger things things have happened. second week. Second
0: week? uh, uh, He's not rocking up expecting to reach a third round. I I wouldn't put him in the second week if he was going. Well, he's he's not not going. (laughs) He's not going. What a random conversation. (laughs) What's your prediction from John Isner? That he will not play. Uh, But look, it it comes in, it has to come into people's thinking. Sebastian Corder, who is, as we speak, in the final at Delray Beach opted to go to Delray Beach and not go to qualifying for the Australian Open. And you could say, look, he's got many, 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 many Australian Opens ahead of him. But surely, in people's thinking, is what you have to go through to be part of the Australian Open. You know, it's even we look, we know friends who are flying out there, and still, it's it's a complete lockdown initially. Everything is very secure. It has to be. And for some players they're just thinking, it's not something I, I want to go through. And and also possibly I remember Andy Murray said this with pulling out of Delray Beach. You know, you take a flight, there is a risk of, of picking up COVID. You wanna minimise you wanna minimise your risks.
1: Yeah, well it's turned out that the uh, quarter decision looks pretty good right now. Good good decision. In, uh, that decision. in the final yeah. of Delray Beach, but yeah I, I mean look I remember I mean Cord is very young remember um he's yeah. all fairly new to him he's flying up the rankings and your know, opportunity to play at ATP level is really good for him I mean the the tournament naturally was just going to be a little bit weaker with less people travelling So, a great opportunity for him. Of course, you know, Grand Slam qualifying, he would want to be there. But yeah, it's a bigger ask than it is normally. And it's already a huge ask to get down to Australia and get used to the heat and the conditions and and, uh, get going with that slam. So, I I can totally understand the decision. I mean, Felix Auger, earlier when he was in his first Grand Slam qualifying, which was at the Australian Open, didn't play and played challenges in the States instead because his team didn't think he was ready because they thought there's a good chance this guy's going to qualify because he's quite good, but that he wasn't ready for (laughs) five set matches which is what you have to do when you get to the main draw so they wanted to hold him back to just protect his body a little bit um and then you know set him free into set him loose on the grand slams a little bit later on um so yeah i mean that might have come into it as well that actually why don't we try and play at this level best of three sets we know that he's good enough to come through qualifying um and just kind of you know get that body ready yeah who knows there'll be lots of things that go into it i think it's a good decision i think It's good decision either way, but it's it's a lot when you think about a month, and if you are going down there, yeah, uh, and you are going to lose in the first round, yeah, two whole weeks of 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 quarantine, it's yeah, it's it's an it's an awful lot.
0: And someone who is out of the Australian Open because their body is not playing ball is Kyle Edmund. And you have you have to feel for Kyle. He's what twenty six now, so should be in his prime but it's turning out to be quite a troublesome knee problem do you use the word chronic knee problem and he had an exploratory procedure before Christmas to find out what's what but it proved inconclusive and that must almost be the most frustrating part of it that he doesn't have a problem that he knows what it is he can sort it out and get back to it this is a knee problem that is just coming back and coming back and coming back
1: do you think though I was just trying to work out whether when people do have injuries that are this sort of chronic do they ever actually really recover you think about Nishikori with his wrist and he was just told look it's going to hurt crack on with it you're not going to make it any worse I I don't know I mean okay sometimes they'll have some sort of um, surgery some procedure which might fix it in the end but it just seems like for a lot of players when they pick something up that just will not go away it, uh, yeah, it just seems to be like the road back is a bit bleak.
0: Oh dear, I see, where's, all, where's all our positivity gone? And I think <laughs> Too much for one day. I, I think that must be a very hard thing to deal with and to accept if someone says to you, I don't know, your knee, uh, look, roughing it up, knees, chronic, you're just going to have to deal with it. And then what risk do you take by playing on at the level that these players want to compete at to do long-term damage because you've got a lot more of your life that will be not being a tennis player than you have as a tennis player. So how much do you put on that? Do you just deal with the pain and see what you can do? I, I think it must be a very, very difficult position, especially if he's going through procedures and no one can actually tell him what the problem is and why he's getting the pain.
1: Yeah, I think you're right, actually. Raff is a good example with his knees. He's been able to manage it, hasn't he? It's frustrating and it definitely hinders his career. But at what long-term
0: cost? What's, is he going to be able to walk at 50? Is he going to be able to walk at 60? Is he going to have to have both knees replaced? And is that a sacrifice that he's, he's willing to make to have the career that he's had?
1: I think all tennis players will make that sacrifice. I think that with every sport that you, uh, if you're going to play professionally, you, you've got to know what you're signing up for uh, in terms of the damage because none of this is healthy <laughs> this is not <laughs> recommended i know they're athletes and they kind of high behind it but it is not healthy what, what <laughs> any sort of elite athlete does because it's every single day um and with tennis it's hips and knees you're probably going to get new yeah. hips and knees at some point in your life uh at least partial procedures it, it's going to be an issue for you and then you could also have back problems as well but um hips and knees is kind of like if you're going to be a professional player and you're going to have a full career you are going to have massive problems with your hips and knees for the rest of your life and i think for most people that's okay i think that's worth it if you've got a shot at you know doing the sport that you love playing at a really high level earning huge amounts of money so you can afford the best hip replacement (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that there, there is. Great. That's great. Now, there are other sports where head injuries are very common and yeah. likely and you're signing up if you're a boxer you're signing up to a good chance that your last sort of 20-30 years of life are not great in terms of brain damage and brain injuries and we've seen what's happened with the NFL out in the States and lots of players getting dementia it's now happening in, in football and rugby as well so the risks that you take on for whatever sport it is, if you're an ice skater, there are huge risks if something goes wrong. So it, it's up to you. Uh, I mean, for me, a head injury is is too far. It's just it just doesn't seem worth it to be a professional player, even if you can, uh, even if you can earn huge huge amounts of money. There's nothing you can do about getting dementia, but hips and knees, ah, yeah, who needs them? So,
0: <laughs> so okay. So for you, at at the ranking you were playing, the level you got to, what you were achieving you would have taken double hip surgery later in life for that career? Or does would you have had to go higher to take those risks? You see what I'm trying to figure out? I kind of get why maybe Rafa Nadal would risk having to have everything replaced because the, the man is a legend. He'll go down in history what he's achieved. But if you go a bit lower down, what are you willing to risk? So what would you have would you have risked if you stayed if you were going to stay around the same ranking right for most of your career you would go up a little bit come down a little bit and if someone said for that career when you're i don't know 40 you're going to have both hips and knees replaced would you have would you have signed up for that would you have signed up and and, and you'd go up a bit and there would be some grand slam entries and there'd be some titles that would have would you have would you have taken that well i think it depends really if you're enjoying it and you're enjoying your
1: life then then yeah i mean I stopped very early so my um, to be honest my hips aren't great <laughs> and I only played for a few years. <laughs> I stopped at 21 so playing up until your mid 30s is a, a whole different ball game. Um, yeah I I I don't know really. I mean you it's about how much you believe in yourself, right? Do you believe the investment is worth it? So for me just moving aside from the hips and knees thing, the it's not a sacrifice, it's a choice, but the choice of living that lifestyle was not worth. Mm what i thought as the potential outcome of being a player right um because yeah. it just may be miserable and i just thought what's the point in being miserable even if i'm even if i end up being successful and for other people it will be you know what's the point in ruining my hips and knees if i'm just going to sit at, at 4 500 but i think for being top 100 I, I, I haven't met anyone who would say do you know what the risk is not worth it I, I, yeah, I just, I haven't met that in, in tennis, you know, it's, it's it's not an impact sport. I mean, you have a lot of impact going through the ground, but you're not kind of tackling people. You're not getting smacked in the head. Yeah. So it seems like <laughs> well, you quite shouldn't. a tame sport in comparison to, to yeah, they, who knows what's going to happen in 2021. Uh, but it seems like quite a, t- a tame sport in comparison to others. So yeah, as I say, you've got to weigh up the risk. Would I, would I have become a professional boxer? No, and I'm sure there are probably, boxers who get to a certain level and start thinking do you know what the risk isn't worth it because you know they've they've got to to weigh that up unless you're going to be one of those boxers who never gets hit like floyd mayweather or whatever you just you just i i never get i'm a boxer and i never
0: get hit in the head so i'm actually fine but most aren't like well, that. i just i just could i just could never have been a boxer because i i can't think i I can't think of anything worse that someone just trying to hit me. I mean, that is—that's the, the aim of it. Yeah. Someone's just trying to hit me the whole the whole time. Very absolutely, if you get to hit them back. What well, if you can actually hit them? I mean, it could become very one sided. But the, I mean, someone though who is proving uh, there probably were doubters wrong. Uh, Christian Harrison, eight surgeries. So brother of Ryan Harrison, who people have heard a lot about. Son of Pat Harrison, coach, tennis coach. He recently got to the semi-finals at Delray Beach. He was a qualifying wildcard, got a qualifying into qualifying, wildcard into qualifying, there we go. Got through, went on this amazing run, world number 789, and eventually it was Hubert Hurkacz that brought that run to an end. He beat the top seed, Christian Garin along the way. But that is incredible. Can you imagine going through eight surgeries? And look, I've never rehabbed from one, but rehabbing after each time, seeing your brother having the career that he was becoming a Grand Slam champion, the doubles at, at Roland Garros, your father works in the sport, and still having that desire, the determination, the belief to come back and keep playing. I mean, that's impressive. It's so impressive. Really, it is. I don't know how
1: players can do it, quite frankly. I think probably the fact that his, his family is so involved in tennis yeah, would be helpful yeah. because yeah. they can help you through it. You're not kind of out on your own trying to chase this dream and your family going, nah, is it going to happen? You know, I think there's probably quite a lot of belief there and a, a good amount of connection. So I'm sure that would have helped him. But I mean, if I think about an equivalent on the women's side, Michaela Buzinescu, she, yeah, as a yeah. youngster, was, you know, the bee's knees. <laughs> That's a terrible saying. <laughs> <laughs> oh i feel like i have 90 <laughs> um she, she was she was great uh and i think that if you spoke to a lot of people in romania or people on the junior circuit at the time they would say that you know if you were to pick her and ha- between her and Hallop as to who was going to win grand slams you'd be looking more at bosonescu mm. i don't know maybe mm. maybe all i'm saying is she was in the same sort of realm yeah. she's very very good and She is very talented and we've seen that, but it was years of injuries, years of injuries and not until her late 20s. And she finally, finally was able to come through. She basically could only ever really manage almost a full year or just about a full year playing before she got a serious injury and was out for at least six months and just had to reset and reset and reset. And I just couldn't believe that she was still going. And I was so thrilled for her because we're a similar age, but I was so thrilled for her when she actually got to the tour because she got there and then she just started winning matches and she's great and she's really good fun to watch. And and yeah, it's just so, so impressive. And I remember an interview with her and she just said, it just would have been a shame because I knew I was good enough. And, yeah. and that's it, isn't it? You've got to weigh up. All of the risks, everything that you're kind of choosing to do, the sacrifice, the lifestyle choices uh, against how much you believe in yourself that it's going to pay off in the end. It's
0: going to be interesting 2021 to see what if Christian Harrison does anything else. I mean, he looked exhausted because he was also through to the semis with his brother of the doubles. I mean, he hasn't played that much tennis in an awful long time. <laughs> suddenly he's played an awful lot of tennis and the legs look like he's suddenly playing an awful lot of tennis. But on the on the flip side, downside, sort of not as impressive was he was fined $3,000. And for someone that's really had no career because he's been so injured, that's an awful lot of money for not doing his encore interview after his second round match because he refused to wear a mask because it required you have to wear a mask he didn't want to wear a mask therefore he was fined and I should say the round after that he he wore the mask because as I say you haven't been earning anything in this sport suddenly someone's taking three thousand dollars away and I just look I know people have beliefs and I don't have to agree with them whatever it is but it doesn't matter whether you agree or not with wearing a mask the tournament says you've got to wear one you wear one, right? I mean, it, it's, it's the safety of the tournament, your peers. And I know people have very strong views and they're like, oh, I'm not going to wear it. It's against my whatever, whatever, whatever. But just to keep everyone safe around you, surely, surely you just wear it, right? Surely.
1: <laughs> it just, I agree. It's just sort of a strange one to take a stance. as you say because you know three thousand dollars I imagine if he had not done the next interview it would have been three thousand dollars again
0: if he'd just been racking up I think someone said to him Christian you haven't earned any money in tennis don't start losing it now (laughs) you're gonna start owing the tournament money I mean
1: not many people do that I think uh, Kyrgios has done that before in Rome when he got defaulted in Rome he owed the he owed everybody money (laughs) because he just didn't earn enough to cover it (laughs) Uh, but yeah I mean I, I don't I don't understand I think it's a little bit petty yeah just you know, wear it you don't it. agree with it like you don't agree with it but you just suck it up and do just, it for two
0: few, minutes three minutes two minutes and he did something well, about know it's
1: like you only get three questions don't you Yeah, course. and he
0: said something like, oh you know I was kind of hot and I didn't want to put a mask on or he'd been doing all this running in the past with a mask on well then just put it on for you know Blair's going to ask you two three questions and then you can wave at the non-existent crowd and off you go and you've still got an extra $3,000 in your pockets. That was a little, left a little bit of a kind of taste in the mouth. Something else from Delray I wanted to mention. um Francis Tiafo working with Wayne Ferreira. Um, love Wayne Ferreira. Makes me laugh. Very serious guy. Very funny guy. But he, in an interview with Blair Henley, he was speaking about how he's trying to help Francis, how they're trying to work together. And I thought this was good. He said, being a young boy, there are a lot of issues with technology and focus and attention span. And I think you can look at Tiafo, you can see he's quite easily distracted by things. And he said, on the focus side, this is Wayne Ferrer, I'm trying, what I'm trying to do, not only in tennis, but outside of tennis. So I'm making him do lots of running. So lots and lots of running outdoors, but with no technology. So no music, no podcasts, just running. I mean, I personally couldn't run without listening to a podcast. You know me, it'd be absolutely impossible. But he's saying for Tiafo, running. Nothing. I mean, do you, you listen? Yes. Well, at the moment, you're listening to Michael Johnson. But you have, some, you have music or something, right? Before, I didn't listen to music, actually. Oh, really? I like to, I like to sort of feel,
1: feel the pain oh. and concentrate on the pain. Oh. You've, got to, you've, got to, <laughs> you've got to feel the uncomfortableness. You've got to be in it. Oh. You can't make it easy for yourself and be distracted.
0: Oh Really? Okay. Oh, no. But also, <laughs> the other thing he said, and he said this has been the hardest thing so far, is his treatment at the end of the day, no technology. So when he's lying on the treatment table being pummeled, and I'm sure that's going to hurt, no phones. He said that has been the hardest thing so far to take away. Because look, Tiafoe's a young guy. He's on tour. He's got lots of friends. But Wayne Ferrer is saying he's got to focus. So no technology when running and nothing on the treatment table. I will just say the baby has now joined us. If you hear any, (laughs) any. Welcome.
1: There you go. Hello. That's the baby. Um, (laughs) But I do think. With uh, with TFO and the technology, it, it's it's good because it's, you're at work, aren't
0: you? Even if you're getting treatment, physio, rehabbing, whatever you're doing, warm up. But do you need to focus? If someone's doing something to your left calf, do you need to be focused on your left calf? Because I would, in some ways, rather be distracted from probably the pain that I'm probably being felt as someone's kneeling on my left but calf. But it's the same thing like if you've got a job in an office.
1: It, you know, you shouldn't really have your phone on if you're in a meeting, but you you can... You could be looking at your phone and still be listening to the meeting, but it's just kind of not how it's done. It's not professional, is it? I don't think it should be a blanket rule for everybody, but definitely I agree if it is a bit of a distraction, then, yeah, you say, look, you come to work. This is your office. This is what you do. You come and you be professional, and you can get on your phone later.
0: (laughs) You would be a really strict coach. (laughs) And and the little one there, this is your mum, so there'll be no no phones for you until you're about 18 oh. um how is couch to 5k going oh it's going it's going all right actually 2 weeks down yeah
1: okay and uh, yeah running a little bit longer i mean it's just very cold and very dark here and very wet so it's not the most appealing, but fortunately, I don't have to run for very long
0: at all. So, so that's nice. Have you sacked Michael Johnson yet? Is he still your coach?
1: Uh, I have, yes. I've moved on to
0: something else. <laughs> Sorry, Michael. Oh, wow. I didn't think you were going to say that. <laughs> uh, yeah. Remember, my New Year's resolution was to be a better homeschool teacher. Right. So tell <laughs> tell me, what mm. are you doing this week? So look, I agree. homeschooling, the, the three things, right? writing reading writing and maths i get it do lots of that and i can do lots yeah. of that we read lots of books you know write lots of letters and words and spelling that's that's quite fun so i i get that and i'm happy to do all those tasks um today today's task i have to build a meerkat house a meerkat house don't they make a house. Meerkat house don't they live yes. in like a a hole in the ground exactly so we have to build some kind of terrain for them complete with moss and pebbles and rocks and shoe oh, wait, boxes an actual one yeah i thought wait so for, for real meerkats to live in no i'm not gonna go i'm not <laughs> gonna there I, aren't I, i'm, meerkats not, in I'm not gonna go to africa and buy a meerkat uh, <laughs> or some zoo that everyone's locked down we we've been learning about meerkats this week In terms of how this is going to help my children when they go out into the big bad world when they're older, I don't know. But they can tell you that meerkats have sharp claws and that meerkats look like this and meerkats weigh this and fantastic. And I thought, okay, that's fine. I'll humour them. We'll do meerkats. Now I have to build a meerkat house and I have to make two meerkats. Oh, oh, right. okay. But wait, I I still don't understand. So the meerkat house,
1: are you building it as if a meerkat could actually live there or is it sort of you're making out of cardboard and bits and bobs to make it look like a I'm meerkat not, house i'm
0: not building a, a burrow in the ground <laughs> for, for for real i'm building i love how you're saying i we're, we're... <laughs> we're... i've pardoned this off to my other half i was like this is not happening um We've we've got to make two meerkat like dolls, puppets, dolls. I don't know. Get a loo roll, stick a sock in it, stick a pipe cleaner out of it. I don't know. And they have to—they <laughs> they sound great. They, <laughs> Lots of effort going on. They have to live in this meerkat house that we have to build. Right. Okay. Fine.
1: That's. It sounds more doable when you put it like that. But does it? Stick a sock and a pipe cleaner, and then you'll be alright.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but is there any point to this? Next question. I don't is that, know. Is it? But how is this going to help my child in 10 years' time? They'll have a thorough understanding of meerkats and an interest in Africa <laughs> and the goings-on in the meerkat world? Well, we haven't. They know they are from Africa, that's sort of southern Africa. but aside from that, in their meerkat I thought the meerkat knowledge was at a good place until we got this project through. And, and, and once we've built the house and the cats, the children, in the words of the teacher, have to do a David Attenborough oh no, that's to, cool oh yeah so you've got to film them film them talking so through good. the life I'm talking five-year-olds that when the camera goes on them suddenly forget how to speak <laughs> and they have to do basically a nature documentary in the style of David Attenborough with the meerkats in the meerkat house oh amazing I think David Attenborough's wow. done one on meerkats hasn't he so you uh, can whack, whack that up it. and just just copy it I just yeah and no, I'm sure the words will be very similar that they're using um the the other thing that we have learnt this week is well I knew what it was obviously but the boys now know what a guava is a guava. and how to sp- and how to spell guava wow okay so it's kind of is it
1: internationally themed because again I don't you ain't know. getting guavas in Windsor I, <laughs> I, well you I, could buy one I, but you're not finding I, them in the wild
0: I, I, <laughs> I genuinely don't know. I just know that my children will be walking around this week saying, Mummy, can I have a guava? They can spell guava. And now they're going to build a meerkat house, which I have while we're doing the podcast. I said to my other half, why didn't you make a start on the meerkat house? So I have a feeling that the Meerkat Mansion is being built while I'm... No, it's so... Uh... Yeah, but you're you're going to be expecting it to be kind of nearly constructed and finished and it's going to be like nothing yeah, there. No, there'll be... It, it, at the most, there'll be a cardboard box. That's all, that's all I'm expecting at this stage. Um, Just write Meerkat House on it. Can you imagine? So that's... No, on the whole, homeschooling is going all right in terms of the reading, writing spelling all that kind of stuff boys are doing really well we're doing about three hours a day of like solid schoolwork which i think is okay i think is good um but it's just tasks like this it's the it's building the meerkat village when as you rightly said they live underground in burrows which is proving a little bit tricky um (laughs) but uh, but aside from that aside from that it's fine i've gone back to skipping with my my ropeless skipping rope do you remember? That? Oh, the rope, the skipping rope. Yeah, I remember that. I, I really feel I'm back in. I'm back in lockdown, so I've gone back to doing a little bit of that when I need a break from the the meerkats. I just go do a little bit of skipping. Um And just to let people know, the um you know we were talking about the the app, the WTA ATP app, live app that is no more. Yes, doesn't exist. A lot of our colleagues have been trialing out different apps, and it seems. A couple for people to look at if you're still looking for a good app. One is called Tennis Live, T N N S, Tins Live, Tins, Tins Live. <laughs> Tins. And <laughs> the good, come on, people. The, <laughs> the good thing about Tins Live <laughs> is it has the draws as well. Yeah. So it's got all the tournaments. It's, really good. it's actually got the draws. And the other good thing about it is it puts the matches into local time. So, I was trying to figure out yesterday when the Cameron Norrie Sebastian Corder match would take place. And I was trying to look, I know I should get this as I've been doing primary level maths with the boys, but I'm like with my <laughs> fingers going, right, they're in Delray, I'm in. But then alongside it, it said 1 a.m., your time. And I thought, that is amazing. That's very helpful. That's amazing. So Tun's Live, or the other one is Tennis One, which is pretty good. So there's, I haven't tried that one, so I'll give that a go. And there's Sofa Score and all the others, but those ones, those those two are pretty good in terms of keeping up with everything. Because look, there's so we haven't even. Talked about, and so I've got to get back to Mirkaz. So you've got to get back to little fella. But we haven't even mentioned that Arena Sabalenka. I think she's now what fifteen matches unbeaten, winning the yeah. Abu Dhabi okay. title. Sixteen, I think. Okay, so Sixteen, it was, it's, I can't It's incredible. Cruising. I mean, she's just she's just redlining because there are there are tournaments taking place all over the place at the moment, and then these people are going to make their way to Australia. The top players are going to go to Adelaide for an exhibition. I mean, it's all. It's all kicking off. It is all happening. And uh, yeah, there's an awful, awful lot going on. So yeah, get a couple of those apps because they're good to keep an eye on. And then I guess we'll keep you up to date with as much as possible. If anyone's got any advice on how to build a meerkat mansion or how to build a meerkat. But I think a loo roll with a sock in it and you push the sock up the top. I think that's good. Yeah. Well, you need the tail. The tail's the the thing, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, long tail. You're good on meerkats, aren't you? I feel like I could quiz you on meerkats, and you'd just give me some answers here. <laughs> this, I think,
1: I've spilled everything I need to know. Or I, I can I already.
0: rope you in for some homeschooling? We can just do a little Zoom, and you could you could teach the boys about what meerkats? Uh, well, anything, and you could I mean, choose the subject.
1: I'm definitely up for it. I'm not sure you would want them to uh, think that my loose facts are actual
0: education. Well, you know, uh, you know, at this point. I'll take anything. I'm into what my second week of homeschooling. <laughs> I'll take anything. So we've trained our we've trained our listeners
1: well that uh, they very much understand the loose facts. I feel
0: <laughs> we yeah. need
1: to get the same message through to your boys first.
0: I should also say there's there's also some facts in our podcast as well, but there are a number of loose facts as well. Oh, yeah, well, Gigi does the facts. <laughs> I try. We we, try, we look. We try and find a happy medium. We try and find. But it, as we were saying at the beginning. We used to have so much time. We used to talk for maybe 40 minutes before we recorded. Just how are you? What's going on? What's happening? Since you've had the little one and I've been homeschooling, we are literally start and stop. It's flat out. It, it's crazy, yeah. isn't it? I've got sort of yeah. six, seven tasks to complete with the fellas. You've got the little one to be keeping an eye on. It's uh, And your couch to 5K. So I think at that point... <laughs> I mean, that takes so much time. Uh, <laughs> I've, I've, I've put it off for as long as possible. I have, to, I have to go back to homeschooling. And I better get back to uh, the little man. Yeah, I've tried, to, I've tried to delay it, but I feel... I feel... Yeah, exactly. I agree, little fella. Now is the time for me to get back to it. I've been summoned. Bye. Bye.